In just a moment, we're going to have our Bible reading. That is, we're going to hear God speak to us through his word. And then uh, have Gav come up and speak to us from it. So I'm going to lead us briefly in prayer. As you can see on the screen behind me, our Bible readings from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 1 through 13. But let me lead us first in prayer. Uh, Thank you, Heavenly Father, for making yourself known to us and for showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. Father, teach us through your word and equip us for every good work for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And uh, thanks, Janine, who's going to read the word for us. Okay, if you'd like to turn to your Bibles, um, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralysed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Here we go. This doesn't seem to be working for me. Six to eight, another drill. Help, Helen. Morning, everyone. Great to see you. We'll sort that out in a second. Uh, My name is Gavin. I think I've met all of you. If I haven't, it's great to meet you this morning. I'd love to chat to you over morning tea. As uh, Ben alluded earlier, I have the joy and privilege of pastoring Gregory Hills Anglican Church. he was incorrectly when he said I was pinched this morning to come over here. I wasn't. I came very willingly this morning uh, to Harrington Park Anglican. I love the opportunities that I get uh, to come across here and to preach, and I'm thankful for Jono uh, going across to Gregor Hills and preaching this morning. I'm not sure if you got a chance to follow online yesterday for Dan Toomer's ordination service. I was very privileged to be able to be there uh, at the cathedral with the low numbers, which was a bit sad, but it was a great event to see Dan, who's been our student minister here for two years over at Gregory Hills, two years prior to that, uh, ordained. And he's serving 
at Church at the Peak, which is an Anglican church uh, in Peakhurst, and he and Bell are doing really well. They've settled into their new home, they've settled into their new church. Uh, it was great to see them and hang out with them and have some Chinese food. We had some amazing Chinese food uh, over there. I've been really excited the last, well, few months, really, as I've been talking through with Jono and Ben and Kate in the team and our staff meetings and whatnot when we meet up there about the church name change uh, and the proposal that we change the name to Grace Anglican Church. I'm really excited. I'm really excited about the fact that we're going to, the plan is to change all three, or the proposal is to change all three churches. I think that will unite the three congregations in a really, really helpful way. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, uh, that we're going to be united in that way with our name more clearly and artwork and all that kind of stuff more clearly. I think that's going to be a great thing. So I'm excited about that. I think it's been hard coming out of COVID. You know, you know it has, and it still is. We're still wrestling with COVID and the changes and the restrictions, and you're probably pretty hot out there, and sorry about that. Um, But I really think part of our kind of getting back on the rails and picking up speed again, moving forward to grow as Christians and reach the lost... Uh, is, is this name change. I think it's going to be really great in inspiring us forward together as a parish. So anyway, I just want to have a little rant. Thank you for indulging me. I'm really excited about the future of our, our church, our three churches together as a parish. I think the future is really bright. I'm going to pray. This is a great passage today, an encouraging passage uh, to motivate us and inspire us uh, to live for Jesus. So join me in prayer. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you for your word. We thank you for your Son, our Saviour, our Lord, our King, our friend, Jesus. We thank you for his life, his ministry, his sacrificial death on our behalf, his glorious hope-filled resurrection. And today as we look uh, at him again clearly and his life and what he did and what he taught And what it means for us, we pray by your Holy Spirit, you'll convict in us the great joy it is to have Jesus as our friend and the great joy it is to serve Jesus as our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 9. That will be helpful for you and beneficial. My wife Lara and I took our three kids on holidays Uh, In January, the weather was surprisingly good. After a wet start to the year, it really fined up uh, in Naruma down the south coast. However, on one of the other three kids, it's uh, Edith is on the left. Uh, Ray has got the blue helmet on. He's sitting with his cousin. They did a bit of skateboarding while we were away. And Kaya uh, is on the right with all the rainbow lorikeets sitting around her. So we had a great time. One of the afternoons, we're sitting outside our tent because that grass area where the girls are is pretty much our dining room uh, when we're on holiday. So we're sitting outside uh, and having a lovely afternoon and we heard that there's this big fishing trawler who parks at the wharf in the room and had come back in early, which was strange. So everybody raced down there to see what was happening, what the little fuss was about. And normally this thing goes out for six weeks. It came back in about one and a half. So we went down there and they caught a couple of yellowfin tuna that were about four to five feet long each. Uh, they had a hole full of uh, other tuna and whatnot. They said they'd come back in because of the storm. And you look back up, look at the blue skies, the storm. Yeah, yeah, there's a big storm coming. It's like, okay, if a fisherman says there's a big storm coming, there probably is. Without, yeah, within an hour, the sky turned black to the south 
a southerly blew up and the temperature dropped about 10 to 15 degrees in about 15 to 20 minutes. It was incredible. It just got freezing cold. So we did what you obviously do in a room. We hurried across the road to get our ice creams quickly <laughs> because we always get ice creams at night. So we hurried across the road. We got our ice creams. It started to sprinkle as we got back. As we're heading over, people are like packing up tables and putting away barbecues and battening down the hatches on their caravans and their tents and tightening ropes and we were expecting to get smashed, which we have before in the room, and that's okay, we're ready for it. Turns out, it just sprinkled a bit of rain, it was freezing cold, and this massive storm turned right around uh, Naruma and went out to see where this boat had been, and it got hammered out to sea, and there's this amazing lightning show all night. I would love to have been able to stand up and say, Quiet! <laughs> Be still! And the storm would have just stopped and gone away and the blue sky would have gone back out. But I can't. Do you know why? I'm not Jesus. And I don't have his power. One more story. Years ago, Lara and I were at North Mead Anglican Church and we had a beautiful friend named Madeline. Maddie, Maddie we called her. And Maddie has cerebral palsy and she's confined to a wheelchair. She also has a very strong uh, faith in Jesus She has a very sharp mind, she's very bright, and she has very slurred speech because of her palsy. And you'd be mistaken for thinking that she's not intelligent, but she's very sharp, very quick-witted, great sense of humour, but confined to a wheelchair and uh, slurred speech, stuck with her slurred speech for life. And she used to tell us, you know, it was hard for her, and she wished she could be rid of her wheelchair, and she wished she could be rid of her slurred speech, and she longed for the day for Jesus to take her to heaven and give her a new body where, without slurred speech, without the need for a wheelchair. And I would love to have been able to say to Maddie, get up, throw your wheelchair in the bin and walk. Speak freely as I know you long to, but I can't. Do you know why? I'm not Jesus. I don't have his power. I don't have his power to heal. I don't have his power to help. I don't have his power to forgive sins. And because of that fact, I need him. Because I need help and I need forgiveness of sins. We all do. These past weeks, we've seen Jesus' authority over nature, over demons. And today we see his authority over sickness and also his authority over something far more important than all of those things. What a wonderful friend and saviour we have in Jesus. And today we'll also see an unlikely follower of Jesus who left everything at the drop of a hat to follow his new king and lord and saviour. And he was stoked to do so. He wasn't dragged, he wasn't coerced, he wasn't pinched. He lovingly followed and served the Lord Jesus. And so my question for us all here this morning is, are you wholeheartedly and joyfully following Jesus today? You might not be following him at all. If so, please pay close attention because I want to persuade you that you're missing out if you're not following Jesus. You might be following him wholeheartedly, but you know what? It's just feels like more like hard work than anything else. You go to church, you serve, you pray, it just feels hard rather than a joy. If that's you, please pay close attention. 
You might have immense joy following Jesus. You love following Jesus and the whole hard work isn't hard for you at all. You could totally listen to a preacher preach all day about Jesus and that would be a day well spent. And if that's you, sit back, relax and enjoy because I'm only going to talk for about 20 minutes or so. You're probably going to be disappointed. Um, The first thing that we learn today from Matthew's true account of Jesus is that Jesus meets our greatest need. Jesus meets our greatest need. So please keep your Bibles open. Look again, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. That's interesting. He came to his own town. The town he came to was Capernaum, and that seems to be Jesus' base of operations in his adulthood once he begins his public ministry. Now, I'm not sure if he kind of grew up and moved out of home when he was 18 and moved to Capernaum and got his own pad or what, how it worked, but he seems to have set up his base of operations in Capernaum despite the fact he grew up in Nazareth. This is his own town, we're told. Now, some men came to Jesus carrying their mate on a mat who was paralysed, and they brought their mate before Jesus. And Jesus said something really weird, very unusual, Look at verse 2 in your Bible. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, the faith of the man carrying him, that is, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, presumably this man was paralyzed his whole life. Therefore, he is destitute. It's not like the 21st century where you can get yourself a wheelchair and some help from the government perhaps. You can get yourself a job in lots of different organisations. You're okay. But not in the first century. He can't get a job, therefore he can't get a wife because he can't provide for her. No children. At best, his mates provided for him. At worst, he would simply and tragically be a beggar on the streets. But then he meets Jesus. And his fortunes are all about to change, or at least he hopes they are. That's the plan. Matthew, interestingly, omits the kind of cool detail that they dug a hole through the roof and lowered Jesus down in front uh, of him that Mark includes. Matthew thinks, meh, that's not important. I just want to stick to the kind of the gutsy stuff, what Jesus says. So they bring their friend before Jesus. Seeing the man, Jesus says, imagine he's breathless with anticipation. What's he, I'm going to get healed. I really hope I'm going to get healed. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know what his reaction was, but I like to try to think what it might have been. Do you reckon he went, oh, right, great, that's nice, thanks, Jesus. Can we chat about my legs at all? I "I don't want to be pushy. Um, Well, what he doesn't realise, the man, is that his paralysation isn't his greatest problem. It's a very significant problem, especially in the first century, but it's not his greatest problem. His destitution is nowhere near his biggest problem. And I think even as Christians, in the busyness of life, we forget that our problems, as significant as they are, aren't our biggest problem. Have a think now, what's some things, don't, don't overthink and get depressed and stressed out, but have a bit of a quick think, what's some things worrying you in your life now? Have a think, what are some problems, what are some things, can I go there just for a moment, I'm going to drag you back. 
What's some things that are stressing you at the moment, you're worried about at the moment? Okay, come back. Those problems pale. As significant as I'm sure they are, in a room this big, there's some massive things going on in people's lives. Those things pale in comparison to your great need for forgiveness of sins. Your great need to avoid the just and righteous judgment of God. That is our greatest problem by far. All our other problems run a distant second to the problem of sin in my heart. At the Olympic Games in Rio in 2016, Eliud Kipchoge came first by a whopping 1 minute and 44 seconds in the marathon. That's a really, really long way to win a marathon by. He was the second fastest in history, and that was the largest winning margin in an Olympic marathon ever. Like all the problems in your life, Eliud's competitors came a very, very distant second, third, fourth, fifth, etc., Through faith in Jesus, we receive forgiveness for our rebellion against God, past, present and future. Our sins, the ways in which we live for ourselves instead of him, the ways in which we fail to live like he would have us live, sometimes even unconsciously. Praise be to our friend and saviour Jesus who faces God's righteous judgment on our behalf. What a friend and saviour we have in Jesus. Question for you. This is a, a real question, not rhetorical. What was it that prompted Jesus to forgive this man's sins? It's there in verse two. Someone call it out. What prompted him to forgive the man? His friend's faith prompted him. I see your faith. Because of your faith, I'm going to forgive your sins. They came to him and they trusted him and he forgave their friends' sins. And it really is that simple. But he doesn't just forgive our sins, does he? He helps us in our hour of need as well, doesn't he? Look at verse 3. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? It's an interesting statement, evil thoughts in your heart. The heart and mind work together in reality, and the Bible makes that clear. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said... To the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. How is it that the teachers of the law respond to Jesus? Disbelief, distrust. This fellow is blaspheming, they say amongst themselves. That means he's making himself equal with God who alone can forgive sins, a blasphemy, unless, of course, you are truly God yourself, which, of course, Jesus is. Jesus is truly God. In fact, 
by rejecting Jesus as Lord and accusing him of these things. Later on, they accused him of being of Satan. In so doing, they are the ones blaspheming. They are the ones rejecting God who is in their very midst. And Jesus calls them on it. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Now, of course, it's impossible for Jesus to prove to the crowd on the spot that this man was forgiven, isn't it? How can he prove it? So in order to prove that he indeed has the power to forgive sins, Jesus heals the man of his paralysation as well. Which is easier to say, he asks, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. I want you to know that me, the Son of Man, this truly human person, is also truly God, with God-given authority on earth to forgive sins. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Turn to the person next to you, if there's a person next to you. If not, have a think on your own and have a 30-second discussion about that very question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Go, 30 seconds. Good question, eh? What do you think? Anyone brave? Dob the person next to you. Which is easier? Get up and walk. Up and walk. Why? Less syllables. syllables. Oh. Uh, 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 good one. It's from the old married man. Anyone else? Which is easier? Come on, don't leave me hanging. What'd you chat about? What do you think, Tim? 50-50. That's hard to say. I mean, he can't really prove that his sins are forgiven. So it's kind of easier to say your sins are forgiven because if he says get up and walk, he's got to prove it on the spot, right? But what does it take to actually forgive sins? Jesus needs to go to the cross and die and rise again. So that's actually harder to do, I suppose, to say your sins are forgiven. He can heal like that. He's a creator of the world. But in order to forgive sins, Jesus had to go to the cross to show them that he is the one who has the power to forgive sins. He heals the man on the spot. It's a life-changing event for this man. His life is changed forever. Now, I want to point out the different reactions to Jesus so far in Matthew 8 and 9, which we've looked at. And I want you to ask for yourself, as we look at these, what's my reaction to Jesus? What's, what's your reaction to Jesus as you read this account of his life? In chapter 8, verse 27, we looked at it two weeks ago. We saw Jesus calm the storm and we read... The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The weather 
The weather obeys Jesus. I'd settle for my new puppy obeying me. The weather obeys Jesus. Is this you? Are you amazed at Jesus? You think, wow, he's amazing. Last week, we saw a town of people who cared more about pigs than humans. The whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region because he'd healed two men at the expense of a herd of pigs. We didn't like him for that. Maybe at this point in time, you don't want anything to do with Jesus, like the townsfolk. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's your reaction to Jesus at the moment is, I don't want, to, I don't want anything to do with him. Another reaction that we saw is the teachers of the law. We saw that this morning. Some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming, and they're going to go on later to try and kill him. They can't stand him. Maybe that's where you're at with Jesus. You kind of can't stand him. You don't want to know about it, really. Maybe your response to Jesus is like that of the crowd. When the crowd saw this, the healing of the paralyzed man, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man, to a man, to a true, who's truly man, truly God. When you see Jesus, are you filled with awe and thankful? Is that your reaction to Jesus? What's your reaction to Jesus? How do you live your life in response to Jesus? Well, two of the responses are good responses, aren't they? Amazement and awe and praise. That's pretty good. But I want to say that all of these responses are thoroughly inadequate to Jesus. They're not appropriate responses entirely. They're all insufficient responses to Jesus. But next in this true story, we see, we see the appropriate response to the call of Jesus. Nothing less than complete obedience and allegiance is an appropriate response to Jesus. But notice for the person we're going to see in a minute, the joy that comes with complete obedience and allegiance. Look at verse 9 in your Bibles. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus would not have been a total stranger to Matthew. Matthew would have heard the teaching of Jesus in the Capernaum area. He would have probably seen at least some of the miracles that Jesus performed, definitely heard about the miracles. He would have been wondering about this amazing man that everyone was talking about. Everyone was wondering about who Jesus was. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stood right in front of him at his tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me. And without hesitation, Matthew got up, left his booth, left his career and followed Jesus wholeheartedly. Truly amazing. It's amazing that Jesus should bother with someone who's so despised in his community. Tax collectors were scum. 
They were Jews who'd sold out to the Romans and they were ripping off their own people for their own profit to line their own pockets. People hated tax collectors. Amazingly, Jesus calls a tax collector, a scumbag, to come and follow him. Not today, but then. They were scumbags. It's amazing that that Matthew should leave everything to follow this carpenter. It's amazing that Jesus had such authority that when he says to a businessman, follow me, the businessman does and leaves his business behind. It's amazing the transformation we see in Matthew's life immediately. And we owe to Matthew, the book of Matthew, we owe to Matthew the first written records about Jesus contained in your very hands. He would have had talent with a pen, he was a tax collector, Jesus took this talent and he turned it towards his goodwill. And Jesus can do the same with anyone who is willing to humble themselves and entrust themselves to him. He can do great things for his glory with you, no matter who you are and what gifts you have. Well... Matthew followed him and such a conversion was worth a party. So Matthew threw a party and he invited all of his friends. All the despised people in town were invited. It was such a great party. It was the one to not be at. Unless you're Jesus. He was there. He was at the party. Jesus is totally comfortable amongst a bunch of crooks. And sinners, Matthew's friends and colleagues. Jesus was totally relaxed in their presence. And they loved to be with him. And he delighted to be with them. His unconditional welcome was attractive. His non-judgmentalism was appealing to these people. Matthew found immense joy, joy in following Jesus. Complete obedience and total allegiance led him to utter joy, such that he had to throw a party and invite all his friends over. Come to my place and meet my new Saviour and Lord Jesus. He is brilliant. Come and meet him, come and learn all about him, and you'll see that he's brilliant as well. This was Matthew's response. He couldn't help himself. He just had to introduce all his mates. He didn't need his career anymore. He had his new Lord and his new Saviour. And for him, that was more than enough. So overjoyed was he, he couldn't help but throw a party. Then commit, after Jesus ascended to heaven, committed to writing this gospel account in its detail. He committed to not only sharing Jesus with his immediate friends, but sharing Jesus with us 2,000 years later. Such was his joy. And that's the appropriate response to Jesus. Obedience and joy in servanthood because you know who you're with. You know who he is. You know where you're at in life and in the life to come. Joy in servanthood. 
joy in following him and a great desire to introduce as many people as you know to him. A desire to show the love and mercy to others just like Jesus did. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, the Pharisees, nothing but judgmentalism of Jesus. Can't stand the guy. Why is he spending time with them and not us? You know, we're, the, we're in the temple and we're the, we're the Bible guys, right? We're obeying the laws. A couple of them are in the Bible. Most of them we made up ourselves. But he should be hanging out with us. Well, Jesus' diagnosis is that the Pharisees actually, they're sick, but they don't realise it. They think they're healthy. They think they're okay. They're obeying their laws. They think they can get themselves to God. Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 6 directly and Micah 6, 8 somewhat indirectly when he rebukes the Pharisees by saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Micah 6, he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The Pharisees spent all their time keeping this man-made law and that man-made law in order to please God, whilst all the time they had no love, no care, no concern, no mercy for people. Jesus said, that's not, that's not what I'm after. I'm not after self-righteousness. I'm not after people who are self-centred and care only for themselves. I want the ones who are humble enough to admit they're sinners, they're sick, and they need a doctor. They need Jesus. We can't save ourselves. Can't even calm a storm, let alone forgive my own sins. Calming a storm's easy, really, compared to forgiving my own sins. Jesus had to die for that. The Pharisees were self-righteous, he didn't come for them. He came to all, he came to call all who know they are sinners in need of saving. Our greatest need is forgiveness of sins. What a friend and saviour we have in Jesus who forgives us our sins if we'll just put our trust in him. What a joy it is to call Jesus our friend, our saviour, our Lord, our King. What a joy it is to lovingly come into his midst as those sinners and tax collectors like us sinners did and found hope and found welcome and found forgiveness and found real meaning, real purpose for life, to live their lives for Christ. What kind of service is he looking for? Merciful. Mercy, not judgmentalism, to those in your midst, in your church. Mercy, not self-righteousness, to those in your midst, in your church. 
He's looking for mercy, not selfishness, to those who visit your church, to those in your community. He's looking for mercy to the tens of thousands around us, like Matthew's friends, who face an eternal judgment unless we introduce them to our Lord and Saviour, like Matthew did, which is our great joy. Three points of application to finish up. The first is, please turn to Jesus. If you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, you are seriously missing out. Turn to him and trust yourself to him. He's brilliant. He offers forgiveness for free. How good is that? Trust him and receive forgiveness. Humbly admit that you are a sinner. Trust and obey him. Secondly, return to Jesus. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, have you lost your joy in following Jesus? It happens. It happens. Come back to him. Look afresh at your Lord and Saviour and friend and see how brilliant he really is, this King and Saviour that you have. Your greatest need is forgiveness of sins. And as I look around the room, I see that most, if not all, have put their trust in Jesus and have. You have it. You have it. Forgiveness of sins. That is awesome. That is so good. You don't need to fear the world with Jesus as your king. You don't need to fear COVID. You don't need to fear the government. You don't need to fear our changing culture around us with Jesus as your king. He's in charge. He loves you. He's got you. He's got this world around us. He's in charge. Breathe. Smile. Find the joy in following Jesus again. And thirdly, can I say, once you've done that, turn to others in mercy, kindness, love. I suspect for many of us, all of us necessarily to a point, we turned a bit inward. We got fairly self-protective through COVID and a lot of it was necessary. Are we stuck there? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Have you struggled to return to good habits of reading your Bible, of prayer, of attending church, of attending growth group? In terms of attending church this morning, I'd say, no, you haven't struggled too much. This room's full, out the door. It's fantastic. It's so good. Brilliant. Have you struggled to be hospitable? Have people over? It's a bit scary. You can have 30 people over your house now. That's a lot. (laughs) Start with half a dozen, (laughs) perhaps. Um... Have you struggled to get back into evangelism? Your friends who you were sharing the gospel with or you wanted to, you are praying for, have you kind of fallen off that? And you need to get back on out of love for them and joy in serving Jesus. It's okay that we've kind of fallen out of good routines, but it's time to get back into good routines. Jesus is our king. That is how we show mercy to our church, by loving one another, by turning up and caring for one another, That's how we show mercy to our community, by loving our community, by sharing the gospel in any way we can within our personality. You're not expected to go out and door knock if that's not your thing. If it is your thing, go for it. That's great. Have some people over, like Matthew did. Bonus points if they're crooks or despised in our community. Increasingly, ministers are despised in our community, so you could invite us over and get bonus points. Um... 
Jesus was king before COVID. He's still king during COVID. He'll continue to be king after COVID's long gone. When Matthew found Jesus, he found his needs met. And such was the joy, he had to throw a party and introduce everyone he knew. What a friend and saviour we have in Jesus. What a joy it is to serve him. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you for King Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, our friend, our Deliverer, the one who upholds us and sustains us, provides us with forgiveness of sins, but also provides us with everything we need for life. Thank you for him. Lord, for those of us who perhaps uh, have lost the joy in serving Jesus, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you'll remind them of your goodness and your kindness to them through Christ that will again find the joy and from that joy they will be compelled to loving service of others in their church and loving service of others in their friendship groups, their workplaces, their communities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.